Hi Tim, I'm headed to Emmaus to visit some friends. I need some cheering up. You mind if I join you? I'm pretty down myself. I can't believe all that's happened this week. Yeah, it doesn't just shake a guy up. It makes me wonder if we got it all wrong in the first place. I just can't wrap my head around it. I'm with you. I was certain that Jesus was the real deal. Not much hope now that he's dead and gone. I hear you. Last week when he rode in on that donkey, I was sure he was going to set things right. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Hey guys, what's going on? Haven't you heard what's happened the last couple days? No, tell me. Our friend Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet. He was sent by God. They killed him. We had hoped that he would be the, the one to redeem Israel, but three days ago our own leaders crucified him. Now he's dead. Then this morning, some of the women in our group went to the, his tomb. They claimed to see vision of angels. Later, some of us went to the tomb. We didn't see any angels, and we didn't see Jesus. That's why we were confused and depressed. Wow, I'm glad I'm not those guys. Those two seem to have put a lot of stock in that Jesus guy. They really thought he was going to overthrow the government, kick the Romans out, and put the Jews back in power. They really appear to have bet their whole life and possessions on it. They sure seemed pretty deflated, like the life had just been sucked right out of them. Now, if we stop there, this is real Debbie Downer of a story. So let me read, let me read you the whole story from Luke. Now to help with the scene, the day Luke refers to is the opening of this section of scripture, which is indeed Easter Sunday, the day Jesus Christ rose from the grave. So we begin with Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. <clears throat> one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in the word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, 
How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? So that's the story. You've all heard it before. Now we're going to spend a little time picking it apart. Now I'm up here giving the message, and Trey is not, and he's not on vacation. He's not sitting in here enjoying, well, listening to me preach. He's in the nursery taking care of the kids today. So that's what you get to do when you don't preach. As a regular job, you get to take, oh, there he is, you're not in the nursery. But he's taking care of kids, and if he ends up in the nursery, it's not going to surprise me. So, thanks, Trey. So, here we go. The story begins with two guys walking from Jerusalem to a nearby town. One of them is named Cleopas. Now, early writers identified him as possibly being the uncle of Jesus, the brother of his earthly father, Joseph. He very likely would have been present at the crucifixion. And he saw his hero die. It's also been suggested that Luke was the other man on the road. And he had first-hand knowledge of all the events the previous days. As Jesus approached them, they didn't recognize him. Now Luke records that they were kept from recognizing him. Maybe Jesus' resurrected body looked different than the one the men had come to know, which I think would be a good thing. I want a better one than this when I get to heaven. So maybe he looked completely different. Maybe their despair was so deep that it just clouded their thoughts, and they they just looked right through him. Either way, when Jesus asked them what has happened, they don't even recognize his voice. They reply in absolute disbelief that someone who has been within a few miles of Jerusalem could have missed the big news. Now we look at their response to Jesus' questions. It indicates that their belief in Jesus as their Savior has slipped. Verse 19 records their answer to Jesus' question of what things. They respond about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet Powerful in word and deed. Now notice what they call him here. They refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus the Messiah. They say he is powerful in word and deed, but they call him a prophet. Now verse 21 begins with this comment. We had hoped. Can you just hear in their voices? A three-year-old whose birthday balloon has popped. We had hoped. 
So then we move to verse 23. And they call the women's testimony of seeing angels in the tomb as a vision. They're not saying the words that would assure us of their undying faith. These are the phrases of someone who has lost that certainty and even hope. So let me read it again. Jesus says, what things, they respond, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our wisdom amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So there we are, five verses of gloom and despair. They have bled their hearts to a stranger. Not only is their king not a king, he's dead. From their point of view, things couldn't be much worse. Jesus' response is not really compassionate, and really, who can blame him? He's standing there talking to two men that he knew well, that he taught. Two followers that that learned from him for three years. So he kind of appears, Jesus, to be thinking along the same lines as these guys. Okay, The two travelers on the road to Emmaus can't believe that Jesus doesn't know what's happened. And Jesus is standing there going, I can't believe you guys gave up. So here's Jesus' response in verse 25 and 26. How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? Notice the words Jesus uses. Slow to believe all that the prophets had said. All. He knows the men believed some of the words he had spoken. They're the ones, the words, that they wanted to believe were these. The Messiah comes riding in on a white horse and saves the day. Not so much concerning the words that Christ said just a few days before his death on a cross. Matthew records his words in chapter 26, verse 1. As you know, as you know, Jesus says, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then again, in chapter 26, verse 31, he speaks of his resurrection. Our Lord says, This very night you will fall away on account of me. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Before he died, Jesus made it very clear that he would be crucified and rise again. 
But they didn't want to hear that part. Jesus reminds them that the scripture says that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory. Again, Jesus responds, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? Jesus says, Believe what the prophets have written. I told you that they would beat me to death and that I would rise on the third day. He's thinking, haven't you been listening for three years? Then Jesus gets compassionate. He explains it all to them in a way that they can understand. They hear what he says, but they still don't get it, and they still don't recognize him. So he continues to travel with them and joins them at their destination, Emmaus. They recognize him only when he breaks bread with them. And how about this? Then boom, he's gone. He disappears. But they get it. They finally get it, and they respond with renewed hope and faith. All is well again. And everybody likes a happy ending. And that is where this part of the story ends. The Emmaus travelers recognize Jesus and have their faith in the Messiah reaffirmed. They get up that very day and rush back to Jerusalem. The travelers on the road had just had their faith seriously shaken with the events that took place in the last few days. They looked at this picture, added up what they saw, and had little hope. And I don't think any of us would have summed things up any differently. The man or thing that they had put so much stock in was gone. Their current circumstances made it very difficult for them to come to any other conclusion. How about our election this fall? Any chance the media had their balloon popped when Hillary didn't win? I mean, we all saw it. Nobody could believe it. I'm not saying Donald Trump is the savior. Don't get that wrong. But the media's response was, we just, we can't believe this has happened. So where are we with our faith in current times here in America? Both in this great nation and in our personal life. And I'm going to start with our nation as a whole. And I'm going to focus a few facts here on what the church would call indicators of the health of the family. At the turn of the century, divorce, abortion, and fatherless homes were hardly blips on the screen in life in America. In 1900, the divorce rate was 7%. Today, it's nearly 50. In addition to a high divorce rate, a large number of couples simply live together until something goes wrong. And when the seas of cohabitation get too rough, they each go their own way. No marriage, no divorce. Speaking of marriage, 21 years ago in 1996, our lawmakers and president signed a document stating that marriage was the exclusive union of a man and a woman. The bill passed the Senate by a vote of 85 to 14. The House approved it. 342 
to 67, and Bill Clinton signed it into law in September of that year. It lasted 17 years. In June of 2013, the Supreme Court overturned the law and made same-sex marriage the law of the land. Moving on, in 1973, the Supreme Court also ruled that abortion was legal at any stage of pregnancy. At that time, nearly every Christian church in America stood against the decision, and most still do. Now, how can we as a nation explain the taking of 58 million innocent lives in 43 years? It's like simply removing 20% of the population of the U.S. It's gone. Where are we on homes without a dad? 33% of all children in America live in a home without their biological father. A third, a third of our kids are being raised without their biological father. And what does that yield? Well, 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. Five times the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Our nation is not destined for success if this is the best we can do. Right here and right now in America, the future of the family looks pretty bleak. And now how about your own life? Each of you when you walked in, should have picked up a card. Just for examples, I made the cards three different colors. You got the card in your hand? Everybody pick up your card. Let's say that the card is an indicator of the circumstances that you're in. Let's see your red cards. Who's got a red card? Yeah, you're out of money. Okay, it's red. Okay, you are in the red and money is a real problem. You can pick more red once up on the way out if you want. <laughs> it is a real problem. And when you're struggling with money, you can hardly think of anything else. I'm going to tell you a little story here that's not in my script. Years ago, um, when Barb and I were first married, we, uh, we didn't have any money. And I was a hoof trimmer at the time. So I was self-employed, and I'd go out and trim feed on dairy cows, and uh, I always got paid. So I came home with money every day that I went out. And um, once you got past Christmas, it got really cold, and the guys didn't want to be out trimming the cows outside with me, so work got kind of thin about that time of year. And um, work and Barb and I both, <laughs> I mean, there was no money, and... Um, we needed, I don't know how much it was, just a couple hundred bucks one time. And uh, Barb said, we need money. And I said, honey, there, there is none. I have nothing lined up for the week. Nobody wants their, their cow's feet trimmed. There's nothing. And there's, there's nothing I could do. And uh, she said, let's pray about it. So we did, fervently. 
And she said, well, let's go check the mailbox. And I said, honey, nobody owes us a dime. This is all there is. So we went out to the mailbox, and there was a check in there. I don't even know where it came from. There you go. I don't know if it was enough, but I was certain that there was not going to be a check in the mail. And we prayed, and there was a check in the mail. And, you know, you got this red card, and you're going, but there's no money. Well, don't play the lottery, but it comes from somewhere, and you never know how it's going to show up. But the point is, in that position... We, we, it was all consuming. That's all we could think about is how we don't have any money. And some days there's just no light at the end of the tunnel. And that could be where you are today and it's real. It's just plain real. Blue cards. Who's got the blue one? Yeah. That could be your, uh, uh, healthcare. Who's got who's who's got a perfect body and perfect health? And we all have different stages of of health that we find ourselves. And when you've got health issues, it's tough. You can be taking pills and going to the doctor and whatever else, and nothing seems to get you over the hump. And it's where you are today, and it is real. Last ones. Black cards. Who's got a black card? This could stand for your mood. You're sad. Lonely. Maybe even depressed. And life is just dragging you down. Sometimes finding the good days is really, really tough. And this is where you are today and it's real. All of these things represented by the cards are real. Now, we have a nation in crisis. The dismantling of the family is a crisis. And we all have our own individual crises. And your own picture has very real clouds and problems. Just like the travelers on the road to Emmaus, they did not see much hope for their circumstances. Now, that's hardly a way to start the new year. And if I would have passed out party horns along with the cards at the door, I don't suppose anybody would be tooting them right now. But let's turn to Romans 28. Romans 8, 28. Just a short little verse here. It's in a beautiful chapter of the book. The writer says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Did you hear the word all? things all Jesus used it earlier in this message when he was talking to the travelers all that the scripture has written just don't pick out the parts you want let me say that again we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him we go back to the beginning the Emmaus companions were sure that their world had come to an end their hopes and dreams had died with Jesus Not only did they not have a clue to what was coming, but they couldn't see Jesus standing right in front of them. 
Now, can any of you see the suit or number on the inside of this card? No, you can't. So when you look at your concerns, your issues, you don't have any clue what's beyond this outside color. You don't have any kind of idea. Kind of. God knows. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows all the stuff you're going through. The decline of Christian values in our country is no surprise to him. See the connection here? The two guys on the road thought it was over. And when we look at our circumstances, we think the same thing at times. Now, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat the problems we have in this country or our own personal lives because these challenges are real. Now, we just finished celebrating Christmas. God sent his son to die for us, and that's how much he loves us. But we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, just a few lines ago, I said that none of us has a clue what's coming, and that's, then I said kind of, because we all know what's coming. Someday the end is going to come. God loves us, and he wins. And there's more than hope. There is certainty that regardless of what happens in our lives here on earth, we have the certainty of salvation with him. And I'll leave you with this life quote from Bob the Tomato and Larry the Cucumber. God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he cares for me and you. Have a great day. Enjoy your lunch.